0: You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Imagine picking up a newspaper and you read the following statement. The world is too big for us. Too much is going on, too many crimes, too much violence and excitement Try as you will, you get behind in the race in spite of yourself. It's an incessant strain to keep pace, and still you lose ground. Science empties its discoveries on you so fast that you stagger beneath them in hopeless bewilderment. The political world changes so rapidly, you're out of breath trying to keep pace with who's in and who's out. Everything is high-pressure human nature can't endure much more now this editorial it really could have been written last week or last month or even last year but believe it or not this appeared in a newspaper called the atlantic journal on june 16 1833 more than 190 years ago isn't that amazing we think our generation has it the worst. But you know what? Every generation thinks it is the worst it's ever been. As a matter of fact, I oftentimes regret that my kids will never know the kind of America or grow up in the kind of America that I grew up in. But I also know that when they become adults and have children of their own, they too will probably wish... And feel a sense of loss that their kids will never know the America they knew should Jesus tarry. And it's interesting because every generation likewise feels like it's the generation that Jesus is going to come back in. I see articles about that all the time. Could this be the time? Could this be the generation in which Jesus comes again? Yeah, it could be. But every generation before us has felt and thought the same thing. Janie and I have this year became grandparents for the first time. And oftentimes when I would kind of talk about, you know, the America I grew up in or the way things were when I was a kid or when I was your age and would kind of go on to recount things, you know, my kids would respond by saying, okay, boomer. So much so that when we became grandparents, we decided not to go by the typical grandma, grandpa type thing. So Janie chose the name Mimi and my kids encouraged me and I thought it was good advice to take the name Boomer. So my grandkids uh, call me Boomer. Um, So again, it's just a, a reminder of how things really have changed. But again, it's nothing really new. And we're starting on a series, uh, we're going to try to go several weeks into this, and I want to kind of call it From Burnout to Balance. And again, with 2024 fresh upon us, I remember about a month ago, Christy Early had asked us to kind of share a few of our New Year's resolutions. So I asked you this morning, kind of about a month out, how's that going for you? Do you know the number one New Year's resolution pretty much of all time every year? It's to lose weight. As a matter of fact, I was reading an article not too long ago, and one of the fastest growing trends in our society today are people hiring life coaches to help them manage their busy and hectic lives. You go on the search engine Google And you just type in those words life coach and you'll get over 20 million sites referring you to someone who's offering to help you manage your life. Because for so many of us, life just kind of feels like it's kind of spinning out of control and and it's just beyond our ability to successfully manage Recently, a U.S. Today article made the following observation. It said, today people are souped up, stressed out, and overscheduled. In this brave new world, boundaries between work and family are disappearing. Everyone is mobile and every moment of the day is scheduled with daycare school, after school activities, and 10 to 12 hour work days. This pressure cooker lifestyle is so rare that anthropologists are now studying it to see how it will affect us. Well, I can tell them in advance because the Bible is very clear about how hurry and busyness and a frantic pace affect Our lives. So, I want to just quickly share with you probably the top four effects of a busy, hurried, stressed out lifestyle. The first thing you're going to feel is you're going to feel more stress. The more hurried and frantic our lifestyles become, the more stress we're going to experience. And one of the reasons that we kind of feel more and more stress is because we get more and more hurried. And again, it's kind of this cycle is reflected uh, from a verse in Song of Solomon, chapter one, verse six. And it says, I had no time to care for myself. The schedule fills up. The dishes pile up. The calendar events are overloaded. You're not sure which you know, laundry pile is dirty or clean, and the only time your car really gets washed is when it's raining, right? And the more stressed in life you, be- you become, the more you're going to feel that stress, just building and building and building. Second effect is, I lose my joy. When our lives get so hurried and frantic, and overpaced joy usually goes right out the window. The faster you move in life, the less time you have to enjoy the life that God has blessed you with. Job 9:25 says, this, "My days go by faster than a runner. They fly away without my seeing any joy." And again, sometimes we're running so fast in life we miss the joy of living. And sometimes we're so serious about life that we just don't take time to feel the joy of life. I love the psalm. It says, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. For some of us, that could be a most effective prayer at this point in your life. God, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. It's interesting that after six days of creating, God even himself took off time to enjoy what he created on the seventh day. And we're going to talk about this a little bit more this morning because he teaches us to do the same thing. The third effect of a very stressed, hurried lifestyle is we're less productive. And we oftentimes think the opposite is true. The more I do, the more I should be accomplishing. But this might surprise some of you. All creative people know this. If you run too fast, it's called the law of diminishing returns. You reach a point where you just can't think anymore, and you're kind of just this, this paralysis of analysis. You can't think, you can't really do, and you kind of just reach a point where you kind of just can't do anything anymore. Proverbs 21.5 says, careful planning puts you ahead in the long run. Hurry and scurry puts you further behind. Ever feel like that? The faster I go, the further behind I get. We've all said that or heard that a million times. And many of us feel that way because, again, of the rush and hurry that's a part of our lives. God didn't create any of us, even Jesus, the perfect one. None of us were created to be an Energizer Bunny where we just keep going and going and going. God made you and I to be the kind of people who just need recharging in our lives. You can't keep charging without recharging. You need time in your life where you just simply shut down and recharge to stop and rest. Psalm 90, 19, verse 2 says, A person in a hurry makes mistakes. That's true. So if you find yourself making more and more mistakes in life, chances are you're just going way too fast. And as a result, you're going to be less and less productive. The fourth effect of a stressed, hurried lifestyle is I can't hear God. Psalm 46, verse 10 says, Be still. And know that I am God. I want you to notice it comes first in stillness. And out of that stillness will come to an awareness that he is God. Oftentimes we want to do it in the reverse. We want, we want God to reveal himself to us. And once he does that, we'll kind of enter into a time of stillness. No, it's as we enter into a time of stillness that God will begin to reveal himself us. To us. When was the last time you took time to just be still? Sometimes God's trying to get a message through to us, but all the circuits are busy and we can't hear. A lot of you know several years ago I gradually uh, lost hearing and am, you know, completely deaf when I take uh, this off. And it's been a learning curve for me to try to figure out things out but one of the advantages that i've kind of discovered uh, these last few years is, is when i take this off there's stillness there is complete silence and it's in those times where there's nothing vying for my attention there's no sounds there's nothing there's just stillness i've learned to kind of to take that and to begin to channel that in a way that it becomes productive in my walk, in my relationship with God. There are just times where in a a busy, very, very hectic day, uh, and and I'm starting to just feel really stressed out, I just take this off and there's just kind of this sense of stillness. Uh, There's just kind of this peace, and I don't mean just a lack of sound, but there's just a peace that tends to kind of come over me in those moments. And that's what really God wants us to do is to be able to take that time to just stop and to be still, to think about where we're at, what we're going through. Where is God in the midst of all that? What is he saying to me in this moment? Because God has a plan and a purpose for every situation you're going through in life. And sometimes we're just too busy. And we just cannot hear what God is saying or what God's wanting to do. And so because of these various effects stress has had on us and because we've all felt these things, We're gonna take some time together to look at how do we slow down in life? How do we go from a place of being burned out to a place of balance in our lives? And to do that this morning, we're gonna kind of go through four really quick steps, and we're gonna spell out that word slow this morning. So the S in slow, it stands for stop the constant push for more. Stop the constant push and drive for more and more and more. If you are serious in wanting to bring balance into your life and you want to be, create a, a healthier, a more godly lifestyle, you're going to have to honestly deal with your motivations and your values. What is it, what is at the core that's constantly pushing you for more and more? Why do you always have to have more achievement in your career, more money in the bank, more activities on your schedule, more experiences and thrills and pleasures? What is it? What is at the core that drives you for more and more and more? You got to answer that question. And what we're talking about here primarily is ambition. And again, there's nothing wrong with ambition. Ambition can be a really good, productive, helpful thing. It's really, frankly, how a lot gets done in this world. And everything, whether good or bad, had somebody with ambition behind it. So God has given us, he's kind of wired us in a way that we can have ambition. And God calls us to be ambitious in certain areas. But again, not all ambition is good. There can be ambition that's out of control, ambition without boundaries, ambition for the wrong motives or values can probably be one of the most destructive forces in all the universe. I've seen ambition destroy lives, families, careers, and marriages, it can destroy countries when a dictator becomes overly ambitious. And I just point to places like North Korea. Not everybody who is a high achiever is someone who should be admired or looked up to. They may be achieving a lot of things, but for all the wrong reasons and motives. A lot of times ambition, it can be built, driven by guilt, by resentment, by fear, by revenge, by ego. Ambition can be driven by pride. It can be driven by, I'll show them. I'm going to show my parents. I'm going to show that teacher who told me I would never amount to anything. I'm going to show my brothers and sisters. And again, not all ambition is good. The other key to stopping with that constant push for more is stop comparing yourself to others. Every time you compare yourself to somebody else, you will become discontent and envious, I guarantee you. Comparing and contentment are mortal enemies of each other. And oftentimes we're guilty of that when we're kind of looking around at others and we say, look what they've got, look what they're doing, look what that guy has or you look at people in your own profession, and you say, look at what they've achieved, and on and on and on. Comparing destroys contentment. On the other hand, when you're content, you don't compare. Proverbs 14.30 says, A relaxed attitude lengthens a man's life. Jealousy rots it away. You cannot be relaxed and jealous and envious at the same time. You cannot be relaxed and be in a comparing mode, a competitive comparing mode at the same time. So you have to stop the constant push for more. The letter L is learn to say no. Do you realize this two-letter word could be one of the most important things you walk out of here with this morning? Learn to say no. That is like a $10,000 time management seminar right there in just two letters, N-O. And again, it is that inability to say no, that many of us are addicted to speed. And I don't mean the drug, I mean a lifestyle of speed. We're addicted to the adrenaline that it produces, We like the attention that we think it brings to us, the importance that that it kind of maybe uh, puts upon us. We're addicted to this lifestyle of going faster and faster, and again, how important it makes us feel and look. We have to learn sometimes just to say no. Really, it's not a difficult word. And yet for many of us, it's very difficult to tell other people no, especially when there are family and friends. And the number one reason our lives get so overloaded and hectic and busy is because too many times we're saying yes too many times to people that we love, and we're saying yes to too many times to things that are important. And again, that's the key is you've got to learn sometimes to say no to important things. There's a lot of important things out there. I just can't say yes to all of it. There are times where I have to say no to very important things. So again, we ask ourselves, what is it that's driving me? to say yes to everything and everyone. It's kind of like we're living this verse from Proverbs 20, 25, and it says, an impulsive vow is a trap. Later you'll wish you could get out of it. Ever had that one before? Why did I say yes to that? Why am I doing this? Why am I caught up in this? And again, the important thing there is, again, don't promise without praying. Don't decide without deliberating. Carefully and prayerfully make your commitments. As most of us found out, it's easier to get in than it is to get out. It's always easier to get into debt than it is to get out of debt. Amen? It's always easier to make a commitment than it is to get out of a commitment. And it's always easier for us to get into trouble than to get out of trouble. It's always easier to gain weight. Let's not go there, right? (laughs) It's always easier to fill up your schedule than it is to empty it. So we all have to decide what is important. What is God calling me to say yes to? Just because I should, or just because I could doesn't always mean I should, right? Just because I could doesn't mean I should, just because I could do that doesn't mean I should do that. There are times where we have to say no. And again, I think one of the reasons we have a difficult time saying no is we don't want to admit to ourselves that we have limits. We think we can just be adding more and more and more things to our lives. And the truth for most of us is our lives are already too full. I would venture to say for probably about 80% of you in here this morning, your schedule is already too full. And if you're going to add anything else to your life, something's going to have to go. You're going to have to say no to a lot of things somewhere along the way. Do you ever walk into the grocery store? I do this all the time and I'll kind of just walk right by the cart. So I'm here for just kind of one or two items, and then, you know, the longer you're in there, the more aisles you walk down, the, the the fuller your arms get, you know. And it just gets to the point where you're walking with, you know, the eggs are kind of in between your knees as you're trying to walk up to the cash register. We're trying to make room for one more thing because again, we just don't admit or we don't acknowledge that we've got limits. It's the parable of our lives. It's the parable of this generation and every generation. We just, can't end up to the, the, we just can't own up to the fact that there are only so many balls we can juggle before all of it just starts falling to the ground. There's only so much we can carry. So before you pick up anything else, a lot of times you're going to have to set some other things down. And again, our, our lives are filled with good things. I would guess for most of you, your life is filled with many good things. It's just too many good things. O is the, uh, letter O stands for obey the fourth commandment. This comes out of God's word, the Bible. And again, it's filled with principles for life. It's wisdom for life. It's filled with insights. It's, It's the owner's manual for life. It's balanced. It's healthy it's enjoyable. You obey it, your life gets blessed, the scriptures teach. If you ignore it, you do it to your own detriment. When God puts a command in the Bible, he doesn't do it capriciously. He doesn't do it because he wants to make your life miserable. God is not a cosmic killjoy. He doesn't wanna limit your fun. God puts principles in the Bible because he knows it's the best thing for us. He created us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And when we follow the owner's manual, and we follow the commands, we'll find that life just gets a whole lot easier and a lot less stressful. When you go against the flow of the way you're wired, the way you're made, again, you're going to be headed for trouble. Of all the commands in the Bible, the most famous are what we call God's top ten or God's top ten big list, the ten commandments. And one of God's ten commandments in there is that we are to set aside one day every week for rest. We find that in Exodus 20, verses 9 (coughs) through 10. And there it says, you have six days in which to do your work, but the seventh day is a day of rest dedicated to me. Rest in your life as a human being is so important to God that he made sure to include it in the top 10. Right up there with don't steal, don't murder, don't commit adultery. He says every seven days, you need to take a day Set it aside for rest. That's how important God considers rest. He calls it the Sabbath. And Sabbath simply means a day of rest. You've heard about pastors or even professors, they'll take what they call a sabbatical. And that means, again, an extended period of rest. And oftentimes we think, well, when should we take our Sabbath? You know, we all kind of think maybe Sunday is, is the, the day of Sabbath. Well, the Scriptures make clear that no one day is better than another. So it really doesn't matter which day you take as a Sabbath as long as you're taking one day out of the seven for a day of rest. I hear the following statement from people who are constantly on the go-go. I'll rest when I get to heaven. Until then, I just have to give it my all. I want you to know that is unbiblical. That is the work of the enemy in your heart, in your mind, in your life. Even Jesus, the most successful, effective person on the face of the earth, even took time to rest. Are you smarter than Jesus? Am I smarter than Jesus? I don't think so. So what are we supposed to do with that day of rest? What should you do on your weekly day off? See, what we usually do, and and again, are tempted to do on a day of Sabbath, is we try to use that as a catch-up day to kind of get caught up on everything we didn't get done the previous six days, right? We just kind of cram in the work we didn't get done. We'll answer emails, letters, and Again, that's not taking a day off. That's violating the spirit of one of the Ten Commandments. The Bible says we should use our day off, our weeks, uh, that Sabbath, that weekly Sabbath, for at least three things. Number one, God wants you to use the Sabbath to rest your body. None of us are wired to go 24-7, every day, work, 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 no relaxation, no break. Your brain, your body, it's just not built for that. You're wired God created you in a way where you need to set aside one day a week for rest. And again, if you have have discovered that you don't take that time off, your body will force you to take that time off in sickness. It'll just shut down. And again, our best requires rest. During the French Revolution, they actually outlawed Sunday as a day of rest. And they wanted people to work seven days a week. And a few years later, they had to reinstate that day of rest because the, the health of the nation had totally collapsed. And I believe much of the health problems people encounter in this country, again, it can be traced back to our very hectic, busy lifestyles. Our body needs a day a week to rest. Two, use the day to recharge your emotions. As I said earlier, you can't keep charging without recharging. You're going to drain the battery dead. And oftentimes when our emotions are drained, we start saying and reacting and responding to people in very, very unhealthy ways. Again, quietness, just that, that taking that stillness. Again, it recharges our emotions. Solitude, just getting alone, away from people, away from your phone, away from the internet, away from the television. Again, that, that solitude, it, it will charge you emotionally. Being with people that you enjoy or, or love being with, that has a way of recharging you emotionally. So get with people who recharge you, maybe reading a book, maybe watching a movie and just enjoying uh, watching maybe a a great movie is a way, again, just to recharge. The third thing is use the day to refocus your spirit and do a spiritual tune-up. Refocus your spirit. Now, there's a word for that in the Bible, and and it's called worship. Worship is another word for refocusing, redirecting my spirit, my focus, my energies, my attention upon God. It's reconnecting with God, and all of us need to do that. One of the benefits of worship, like we're doing here today, is it really kind of helps you to get a bigger perspective on your problems. A lot of us, we can have problems that will just overwhelm us. And and we oftentimes just feel smaller and smaller and smaller. And we feel like the walls start closing in. They're kind of caving in on us. Then you go to worship and, and you begin to refocus on how great God is, how big and how awesome God is. And then all of a sudden, the problems that were so daunting and overwhelming They kind of begin to fade away when compared to the greatness of God. Nothing in life can give you that kind of perspective like worship does. You can't go to the ball game or the football game to get the perspective on life God wants you to have. I get people that say, well, you know, I go golfing on Sunday. That's my time with God. You will never get the perspective God needs you to have on a golf course. It's only in worship. And I mean that individually, I mean that collectively. Only as you get in touch with God will you get the perspective He needs you to have. So we all need private time alone with God, not just at church on Sunday mornings. And I would say if you're too busy for God, then you're too busy. And if you don't worship God, I believe you're missing the very purpose for which he created you, and that is to get to know him. So all of us, we kind of need to calm down. We need to just kind of dial down. and We just need to get alone and be quiet with God. And again, the more and more time you spend with God, the more and more relaxed you're going to be. If you're constantly upset, stressed out, you're probably not spending enough quality time with God alone. So I would encourage you on that Sabbath, you know, spend some of that in prayer. Spend some of that reading the Bible, listening as God speaks to you. And again, if we don't slow down our lifestyle by choice, circumstances will force you to eventually. I'm just saying, count on it circumstances will eventually force you to slow down because of health or some other situation. Final is the W. That stands for wait for God's timing. If discontent is one of the causes of hurry, then impatience is its twin sister. And the reason we get in a hurry and we're impatient is basically a lack of trust in God. And oftentimes when we Get impatient is because we really don't believe that God has our best interest at heart. We really don't believe that God knows what's best for us. We think we know better about our life. We think we know what will make us content, what will make us happy. So we get in a hurry and we strive and we struggle and we sweat for the things that God intended to give us in the first place. And we get impatient because we didn't trust God. We just need to learn to wait on his timing. The Bible makes very clear that God has a plan and a purpose for every one of us in this room, and it is a unique plan and purpose. Your plan is different than my plan. Your purpose is different than my purpose, and it only comes from being in communion, in communication with God that I begin to to discover what is his unique plan and purpose for me and for my life. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God does everything just right and on time, but people can never completely or fully understand what he's doing. You ever have God kind of be doing things in your life and you're kind of like, why is this happening? Why is God doing this? And again, we don't fully understand the ways or the thoughts of God. Scripture says, you know, uh, our thoughts are not his thoughts. Our ways are not his ways. And so oftentimes, those two kind of collide, and we're left wondering, what is God doing? And again, can get a little frustrating. And oftentimes, we want to ask, well, why doesn't God just spell it out? Or why doesn't God just tell me everything in advance? Why doesn't God just give us all of the details, the plans and the purposes for my life all at once? Well, it's very simple. God wants you to learn to trust him and he wants you to learn to do that on a day by day by day by day, moment by moment by moment, step by step by step way. If God showed you the full picture, the plan and purpose for your life right now, 99.9 of us would say, thank you, God, and we would take it from there. But God isn't wanting us to be independent of him. He's wanting us to be dependent upon him. And the one way that God does that is by constantly just giving us a little piece of the puzzle, a little piece of the plan, a little piece of our purpose, one bit at a time, so that we'll keep coming back the rest. One time the disciples came to Jesus and said, when are you coming back? And Jesus basically said, it's none of your business. He said, it's in the Father's timing. Timing is the Father's business. In any moment spent trying to figure out when Jesus is coming back is a minute wasted. I remember when I first became a Christian back 30 years ago, there were books and articles and all of these teachings. I I remember one, uh, 99 reasons why Jesus will come back in 1999. Well, 1999 came and went and, and Jesus never came back. And then the next year, you know, 2,000 reasons why Jesus will come back in 2,000. Every generation has those stories, those books, those podcasts, those teachings. And and every time someone thinks they've got it nailed down and they've got the rationale for why they believe that this is God's perfect timing, it comes and goes with nothing. Jesus said it's not for us to know. The times and the seasons. So just put away your charts, put away your maps, and understand that Jesus will come back when it's time. But he says, until then, be about my father's business. Trust God's timing. And again, if you're serious about slowing the pace of your life, again, we just need to trust and understand that God has a wonderful plan for your life. And part of that plan is getting to know him, getting to know his son, Jesus Christ, in a meaningful way. So what do you do in the meantime with all those plans and dreams and goals? You trust and hold on to the promise. And I'm going to close with this in chapter 2, verse 3. And it says, these things I plan won't happen right away. The things for your life, God's plans and purposes, it's not all going to happen at once. Slowly, steadily, surely, the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, wait patiently for it will take place. Surely, it will take place. It will not be delayed. If you're going to slow the pace of your life, we've got to learn to be able to wait and to trust God's timing. So let me close with this. Are you tired from living an overbalanced life, an overloaded life, out of balance, frantic, hectic, and moving from one thing to the next with no relief or release? Then I would encourage you to make Psalm 51, verse 10, your focus in your prayer this week. And I'm going to give it to you from the message paraphrase. And it says, God, make a fresh start in me, shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life. So I just encourage you, write that down somewhere this week. God, make a fresh, a new start in me. Shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life. Amen? Let's stand together. Father, again, we just, we thank you, Lord, that you know us, that you fashioned us, you created us. Your word says you knit us together in our mother's womb and that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And God, your word says, Lord, that we know that fully. And yet, God, how many times we make choices, God, that are, that are so out of character for that fearfully wonderfully made person that God we think that our ways our timing our choices are better than yours and God oftentimes we continue to reap the same consequences over and over and over again because God we we refuse to listen to be obedient and so God, again, Lord, this, this morning, I especially pray for those of us who are prone to that very hectic, that very overly paced lifestyle where we hurry and hurry, Lord, that, Lord, you would just cause us to step back, to repent, and to realize, God, that that's not your best for us. Your best is rest for us, Father. Even Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden or or overburdened. And Jesus said, I will give you rest. So, Father, this morning I pray for those who are weary. Pray for those who are overburdened. The Father, that they would come to Jesus And that they would receive his rest. Jesus said, my yoke is easy. He says, my burden is light. And I will give you rest for your soul. So Father, help us to take on the yoke of Jesus this morning. Not the yoke of the world, not the yoke of our business, not the yoke of our family. Those are all important. But not to replace the yoke of Jesus. Jesus said, I am gentle and humble in heart. So, Father, we thank you for the yoke that Jesus offers And Father, we receive that this morning. Again, Father, and help us to receive that each day throughout this week, Lord. And again, just teach us to number our days as we prayed earlier today. That, Lord, you would give us a heart of wisdom. Again, Father, we thank you for your presence here this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it is a light unto our path. And Father, we pray, Lord, that you would just continue to lead us and to guide us. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.